Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for Retirement Elevated with Sean Lee. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Retirement Elevated with Sean Lee and myself. And we're going to have a great conversation this week here on the show about uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about what documents do we need to possibly keep on file. We're going to get into a few categories for that. Sean, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Just enjoying the latter part of the summer. Yeah. Very cool. We got uh, got some family coming to visit. Had a nice time this summer overall. Sounds like we were chatting a little bit. Yeah, baseball's over, um, at least for a little bit. But it's it's really never over for my boy. He just restarts. <laughs> it's and never just, over. <laughs> and he just does it on his own. And right. But my daughter's starting cheer again. So they they went through moratorium. Back. Okay. Nice. And uh, yeah. so they're pra- they're back practicing. And yeah. And then she actually gets to cheer at some games this year. Which well, be good. hopefully, right? We <clears throat> yeah. Hope. Yeah. So, well, good. Glad to hear that. And glad to, that you guys have had a pretty good summer. So let's talk about these documents that we might want to keep on file. Uh, let's start with just some tax stuff. You know, are, are you filing tax returns? You know, what are some things that, you know, maybe consider in the in the tax category? Yeah. So, I mean, with, and this is a, a big question, you know, people, how long should we keep our tax returns for? How long should we save them? Or right. We, we always whatever. hear the seven year thing, right? Yeah, but really, I mean, you need to at least keep three years of your state and federal tax returns and all that supporting documentation okay. uh, on file. And that's a you know W-2s and 1099s and year-end statements from banks and investment accounts. You need to you need to make sure that you have all of that. If you think you forgot to report some income on your returns, you all it, and it's more than 25% of your gross income. So mm-hmm. if you had to do an amendment or whatever it may be, uh, you need to keep six years of those returns on file. Mm, okay. Now, if you're claiming a loss for worthless securities, you, you went in, you bought some, <laughs> you know, whatever, right? Right. Or, right. or a bad debt deduction that was written off, um, you need to keep those records for seven years. Okay. Uh, anything with like a taxable uh, gift type of thing, inheritance, something along those lines? Yeah. So if you're, if you're lucky enough to, to either receive an inheritance or receive a gift that was taxable, uh, you have to keep what's called your 709 on file and then what's called your 8971 or your 706 <laughs> mm. issued to you. So those those are all the supporting docs that the government gives. And you just need to keep those in your permanent records. Okay. And that's for like taxable gifts and inheritance. So Yeah. And that's not for yeah. everybody, but someone when you have those situations. So if right. that's the case, you're probably familiar with those terms. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, you filled out that form if you right. if you received one of the yeah, two. right. If you got the money, you filled it out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Healthcare docs. Let's talk about a couple here. Um, Medicaid. Uh, what are we talking about here? We when we're applying, anything we need to keep here? HSA stuff. Anything in that range? So let's let's talk about Medicaid first. So Medicaid, Medicaid has a five year look back provision. So any assets that you gave away within the most recent five years, Medicaid can actually count towards your asset pool. Um, so just keep all financial records and, and records of transactions for five years. If you have a medical, uh, an HSA, you need to keep all your receipts from that year, um, from the date the HSA was open. So you can, you can go back and you can actually match up receipts for spend and, and things like that. Mm, if you're on Medicare, mm-hmm. uh, you just keep your Medicare summary notices. Now, when you're talking about the look back, because we saw kind of a run on this a few years ago uh, before COVID and all that stuff, but you know, people always wondering, and I imagine maybe it's still going on, I don't know, but people saying, hey, well, what if we you know, give the house away to our kids or something like that? And then if we have to 
you know, get some assistance or whatever. And that's really where that five year thing comes back to kind of haunt or bite people in the tush, right? Right. Can I give, uh, I got a hundred grand in a bank account. Can I give that to my kids as a gift and have, get that out of Medicaid? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you, you could, you know, or could I gift the house to the kids? Yeah, you, you, you could, you've got a, a lifetime exclusion on, on how much you can gift, uh, up to a certain limit. But I mean, think about this. Like, if I, if I were to gift my house to my kids and they own it and I live in it and they file for bankruptcy or they, mm. they run into some issues right. financially or they don't pay their taxes. Well, my, my house that I live in is their asset. Right. Yeah. And, and so we, I, I, I recommend against like in a lot of cases, putting kids on the home or, you know, gifting those assets to the kids. If you have the money and you don't have long-term care, you're gonna have to spend that money down, right? Mm-hmm. In the event of a need. So that's better than the alternative of, of potentially losing your house. Your, your kids go through a divorce, you know, and then, and that house is listed as their asset. Well, now that's a split asset. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, if you've got, you know, a contentious situation, then it just gets even worse. And yeah, and it yep. kind of can get a little greedy and backbitey and all that kind of stuff. So never good. Yep. Okay. Um, I, you know, there's legal documents on here, Sean. I don't know how much we need to go from this because I think people hopefully know a bunch of these, but we'll just breeze through it real quick. And if we're talking about keeping this stuff on file too, I guess maybe a, a question would be in today's age, are we talking about on file, like hard copy and a safe in the bedroom? Are we talking about, you know, on a cloud, both? Like, what's your thoughts there? I mean, we keep hard copies of everything in a safe, mm-hmm. but everything is also in our encrypted portal for our families. And the documents that you need to keep, you know, your social security card. If you're a foreign national, keep your green cards and your passports and stuff like that. But right. you also want to keep your marriage certificates uh, or if you're divorced, your divorce papers. Okay. If you're in the military, your discharge papers. Obviously, if you have a safety deposit box, you probably want to keep the information that is necessary to access that safety deposit box. You don't want something to happen to you and then... And oh, nobody well, mom, can get in there, right? Yeah, yeah, mom and dad had a safety deposit box at whatever bank. We can't get in there, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, estate plans, wills, uh, powers of attorney, things of that nature. Certainly, that obviously makes a lot of sense to have that. Yeah, everything everything should either be paper or uh, or digital. Yeah, uh, when it I comes would say to maybe both. Plan. <laughs> yeah, powers of attorney, yeah, I mean... Uh, health directives, financial powers uh, of attorney, you know, all of that stuff that comes into trust. You know, if you're like me, I've got a trust that is a big document, probably 300 pages long. Uh, we just did an amendment. And wow. I thought, oh, you know, two or three pages to do an amendment. Now it's like 50 pages each. Holy so, moly. Wow. But what, what we've done there is that we've got the paper copies and then we've also saved a digital version. That way I can access it anywhere. If you know something right, happens to right, me, right. God forbid, my wife can access the health directives right on online, right wherever she is at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, I think for some of that stuff, there definitely is some benefits to the digital age. Uh, and there's so much, I know people sometimes are like, well, I don't want to have my stuff out there. And it's like, well, your stuff's out there. <laughs> if you're if you're functioning in the modern world, I guarantee you your stuff's out there more than you think it is. So, Oh, yeah. But there's it definitely is. ways you can still be protected with cloud-based stuff. So, And, and right. of course, you know, if you're working with an advisor, uh, as Sean, as you just mentioned, you guys have an encrypted portal, things of that nature. So there's definitely stuff out there you can do to protect yourself. Uh, let's do a few more here before we wrap it up this week. Um, asset or debt-related documents. Any thoughts on these, Sean, like uh, investment accounts or bank accounts? I mean, again, we kind of all think about this stuff being electronic now. Well, and it is, right? Like I could pull my my fidelity statements at, at any time. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the thing. Back in 2012 or, or previous to 2012, if I bought a share of stock, the reporting firm or the custodian, mm-hmm. 
they weren't required to track cost basis for me. Now, since 2012, they've, they've been required to do that. So if you have holdings that were prior to 2012, you want to keep a statement that shows the cost basis. Okay. So you're, you can at least put the right data in if you ever sell that stock and, and get the right you know, tax amount. Uh, other than that, just keep your most current statements on file. Uh, if you're like me, you get your statement. Uh, I don't even get them printed anymore. They're all electronic. Right, right. Maybe the end of the year or something like that. Yeah, just keep the end of the year or, or once a year. Okay. Uh, but in today's day and age, you know, people just log into their account. And they just pull the statements when they want them right there. Yeah, and then send it right over. Uh, right. That's good to know about the uh, about the investments from 2012 or prior, because there's obviously a lot of folks that are going to have you know investments from that time period. So. Right. Uh, that's a good tip to know there. Uh, do you maintain any retirement accounts, like uh, anything we should consider in there, uh, withdrawals, contributions, any of that kind of data? Yeah, if you're if you're still contributing, you know, track that. If you took a you know a COVID related distribution, mm, keep your 1099R. You got to track that. But you also want to track your contributions as well, so you can match up with your you know, your W two at the end of the year to make sure that all your contributions actually reported or were not reported on your income. Mm-hmm. And and so you want to track your contributions as, as well. Okay. Let's help out some of our small business owner friends. Okay. So let's talk about a few things in that reign. Um, federal EIN numbers, basic business information. What's some things to think about keeping in that safe uh, for those folks? Well, when you form a business and, and we've had, fortunately, unfortunately for us, we've done this a, a handful of times as our, as the practice has grown. But you, you always want to keep your EIN, your tax ID number on file. You want to have all of your business formation docs, your ownership agreements, business licenses, uh, paper and digital. Okay. I mean, anytime you're going to open a bank account, you have to have all that stuff anyways. Mm-hmm. And so just, just keep it handy, keep it easy to find and, and make sure that it's, it's in a spot where it's safe. Uh, then you also want to, you know, the government, if you, if you've got employees, you've got to keep track of payroll records, employment tax records and receipts for all your expenses from a tax perspective. A lot of businesses, you know, use QuickBooks and it's a great way to, to be able to pay payroll. And it's a great way to track all of your expenses, but you have to have the receipts on the back end to, to track that. Right. And then you, uh, you know, your asset records, all your bank accounts. If you have investment accounts through the business, you know, sales invoices, all of that, all that fun stuff. All that fun. Is tracked. that is the business stuff? Is that more of the seven year thing that we tend to all think of, or what's some of the time limit on keeping, you know, some of those past employment records and payroll records and yada yada there? You know, I would I would keep that seven to ten years. Okay. You know, just to just to track it. And it's if. I mean, I've had my CPA, the same CPA for the last like 15 years. So he tracks all of that for me. Right. But it's it's always a good idea to also bring that into your digital world mm-hmm. and, and keep those those records safe or, or print them and file them away so you, so you have them. So as I'm reading this list, it just occurred to me this next one on here is like the mortgage. Uh, and I'm like, I don't even know where my mortgage is. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's, you know, they're huge, right? Uh, or at least they used to be anyway. And it's like, hmm, I wonder if my wife knows where we have that kept. And I'm sure she does, but it just, it kind of reinforces the conversation today, right? Somebody needs to know where that stuff's at. Yeah. I mean, it gets in, in today's day and age, your house, your mortgage gets sold so frequently. Oh yeah. Like, right. I don't know who I'm, another, I don't yeah. know who I'm paying my mortgage to right now. It's somebody different than when I, when I finance the home. Right. Yeah. Um, but you want to keep those those records on on file, especially if you're if it's a new servicer, uh, just so you can confirm that you, you know you're paying the same interest rate, your payments stay the same, the duration's still the same. 
Uh, our mortgage just got sold. And the first thing I checked was, did they maintain the duration, the interest rate and the payment? And okay. so you want to be able to, to track that stuff. And then I guess, you know, just to kind of close it out and wrap it up here, because we've gone through a lot of these things, any other final pieces that you think are really important, like if you own property or, or maybe if you own property in another state, stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, keep detailed records just as, as much as you can, you know, the receipts, the travel itineraries, all that stuff. Uh, if you're, especially if you're concerned about your state income tax liability and, and establishing residency, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that, that we know. I mean, we're surrounded in Utah by Wyoming and Nevada. Neither have state taxes. So if you've got property in Wyoming or Nevada and you spend over half the year in those areas, you can make that your home state. So or your state of residence. Gotcha. So you want to make sure that you're tracking that because you don't ever want the government to come back and be like, well, you actually, <laughs> yeah, you have a house down there, but you don't live there. Well, right, actually, right. I do live there and this is how I can prove it. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, the last thing we typically want a lot of times, I still think that, that Ronald Reagan's, Reagan saying from years ago is just so classic no matter what kind of time period you're in. It's like the, the one thing you don't want to hear is I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, you're not here usually, to help me. They're usually not very helpful in, in just about anything, so they can usually make things more complicated. So <laughs> there you go. So just kind of yeah, uh, a little CYA is what we're talking about, right? Practicing a little CYA, keeping some of these documents on uh, file, keeping them handy. Like I said, maybe it's the safe in the bedroom or safety deposit box or uh, a cloud-based thing or a little bit of both or whatever the case might be. So if you've got some questions about some things, some uh, documents that you should have on file or should not or things of that nature, make sure you reach out and check with a qualified professional. Before we take any action, of course, as always, we'd like to remind folks about that again. So if you're working with Sean on the team, you're probably covered. Uh, if you're not, give him a jingle, have a conversation, 855-50-RETIRE. That's 855-50-RETIRE. Don't forget, hit that subscribe button for us on uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on if you're enjoying the content and would like to hear more. Just hit that little, uh, for Apple, for example, I think it's a little heart button that you hit that, and there you go. You're all set to go. You can find all of that at elevatemyretirement.com. That's elevatemyretirement.com, and we'll let you go this week, and we'll see you again next time. Sean, thanks for hanging out with me, bud. Awesome. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. I appreciate it. We'll see you next time right here on the podcast with Sean Lee, managing partner of Elevated Retirement Group. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.